If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 11? I'd like to read the first couple verses of that chapter. Matthew chapter 11. I want to try to address a current um, event subject, and that's the subject of uh, wokeness. What is woke? Who determines what woke is? Now, if you've never heard that term, uh, if you go back a few decades, it's what is cool and what is not cool, basically. What's uh, in, what's, what's not in, what, what keeps you out of the crowd. Uh, Jesus faced wokeness in his life. Uh, the disciples faced it as Jesus raised from the dead, and he sent them forth to up, turn the world upside down. You can go forward, and even uh, in the books in the, uh, the church epistles, Paul was warning the people about uh, uh, the wokeness. So where does it come from? What happens when men determine what is socially and not socially acceptable? Before I read this passage, I do want to say something I noticed yesterday. Uh, I got home uh, late yesterday, well, later in the afternoon, about 3 o'clock. And I happened to turn on um, um, uh, the, um, a couple football games. And I've noticed a trend this year that I've never noticed before. There are an incredible number of college football players that are kneeling together with opposing team members before and after a game praying and they've got this blackout that they put a little stripe under their eyes but many of them are putting a cross under their eyes and I think that's phenomenal giving the day we're living especially in the college environment and those young men when I say young men they're 18 to 22 years old that they're stepping up and doing this on a national stage and I just praise the God for these young people that are doing this and have the, the, the tenacity to do something like that. So may the Lord bless each and every one of them, but also bless us. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 11? I just want to read the first six verses here. <clears throat> and it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, for the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And he and blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now, what happened was, is there was some foretelling in the Old Testament by the prophets that said, when the Christ come, these are the signs you need to look for. And he listed all those healings and those deliverances there, but also listed there is the poor will have the gospel preached to them. And what he does is he says, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. It's the Old Testament knew that when you saw the miracles of Christ and some folks were being converted and put away the Old Testament religion, 
and move towards Christ, there would be peer pressure, there would be social pressure, there would be wokeness, and they would throw everything at you, including losing jobs and occupations and sources of income and provisions. And that pressure would cause people to deny Christ to get back in the culture of the time. And we're going to read some occasions when that actually happened, and those are listed in the New Testament. But Jesus was fulfilling some things that was foretold in the Old Testament, and he's telling them that some people are going to be offended in me. And I just shared those college football players. They're not. They're not. I don't know if I was on that stage, if I would be or not. I don't know. I didn't come to learn Christ till I was in my late 20s, so that would have been way past my college years, so I can't even pretend to be in their positions to stand up for that. Okay? I want to read one more passage here real quick. Mark 6, 1 through 6. Mark 6, 1 through 6. Here is an example of some people that were offended. Now, there's a number of reasons why people might be offended in Christ. And here's one of the reasons. Jesus' pedigree. It was... Terrible from a worldly standpoint. Let's read this. Mark 6, 1 through 6. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him that he even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? This is where the wokeness comes in. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and of Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. That was what was just foretold in Matthew 11. Blessed is he who's not offended in me. Here's some people that are hearing the preaching, and when they hear this preaching, they're going, wow, this guy's preaching with power. Remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, they were astonished at his preaching, for he preached with power unlike the scribes and the Pharisees. And he preached with power, and they're going, wow, that's different. And they're looking at the miracles that he's doing with his hands, and they're saying, where does his power come from? And they're looking at him and they says, yeah, but he came from the wrong side of the tracks. I can't follow him. His preaching's pretty good. Matter of fact, it's fantastic. His miracles are out of this world, but I can't follow him. He's from the wrong side of the tracks. I can't hang with him. I can't run with him. I can't say he's my spiritual leader. He doesn't have any letters after his name. He's just a lowly old carpenter. I can look at him and his hands are really rough. And his parents are poor. And his brothers, half-brothers and sisters, they're here and they're just average people and they're, you know, they're, they're nothing special. He's the one that's going to turn the world upside down. Oh, I'm not going to follow him. Who gets to determine who you're going to follow and who not? And... Uh, Hopefully we'll let Scripture determine who will follow. Let me read the last two verses. Verse 5, And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. I think 5 is just fantastic. Here comes Jesus into a country, and it said he could do no mighty work, except he just healed a few people, cast a few devils out, raised a few people from the dead. 
but he couldn't do any mighty works. Well, what mighty work are you talking about? Preaching the gospel to the poor and having people repent. That's the mighty work. Why? Because they wouldn't believe. Now, what, notice what it says, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Stay with me. There's a technical point. He didn't say they couldn't believe. Because if someone was dead in trespasses and sin and had had God work on him and you heard the gospel and they didn't believe, would you marvel at their unbelief? No. But he hears some people that had the ability to believe, but they wouldn't. And he marveled at their unbelief. Why? Because they were offended at him. They were more concerned what the culture said than what they saw and heard with their own ears and eyes. And they said, nope, I'm going with the people. Okay? And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. Okay? Here's another example. Here's one of my, I call him a favorite character. Whoops, I got hung up here. Got hooked up. Um, this is the man named Nicodemus. He's recorded in John 3. You ever, you ever have an event happen to you? And uh, I don't know, when I was younger, we used to call it a tag. Okay, there's something happened in your life, and you got that tag for the rest of your life. And here's a case where Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Let me read the passage. And there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus, why did you come to Jesus by night? Because Jesus wasn't cool. I didn't want to get caught. Didn't want anybody to see me. So I'm kind of going to slip over there. It's funny as we watch Nicodemus, as we see his life, he shows up again in John 17, John 7, and he shows up again in John 18. Slowly and slowly he gets more and more bold. But that little phrase, come to Jesus by night, that tag stuck with him. You know Nicodemus, the one that went to Jesus by night? 18. You know Nicodemus, he went to retrieve the body? You know Nicodemus is the one that went to Jesus by night? You know Paul? Paul's the one that persecuted all those Christians? You know, Peter, he's the one that always spoke before he thought. You know, that, that was his tag, right? You know, Thomas, the guy that always doubted, that was his tag. Nicodemus was, he went to Jesus by night. Why? Because he was afraid of the Jews. What did he, what did he um, prophesy in Matthew 11? Some would be offended at me. He's still feeling his way out here, Okay. Here's another passage I want. This is in John chapter 12, 42 and 43. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. But, I hate those buts. Sometimes I love the buts. When they're talking about me, I love the buts. When they're talking, you know. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue. You know what? They were facing wokeness. I can't claim Jesus Christ. I can't believe Jesus Christ. If I follow Jesus Christ, I'm going to lose all my preaching appointments. This is a place where he's going to lose his occupation. It's their source of income. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. So they were shaken a little bit right there. Okay? What I would like to share with you is in this culture that we live, 
there is growing sentiment about a persecution towards Christians. And it usually starts in a condescending way. Then it becomes a mockery. But slowly you can see the evolution go to absolute persecution. I don't know exactly where on the scale, but we're certainly sliding that way unless something crazy happens. Okay? But in Romans 1.16, this is what Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Have you ever been ashamed of the gospel? Have you ever been ashamed? Now, I'm not talking about taking your Bible and smacking someone in the forehead with it. I'm not talking about that kind of sharing. But have you ever asked, are you, do you go to church? Are you a Christian? Do you claim Jesus as your Lord? Have you ever just been quiet? I don't know. I, I think the situations will become more and more common, especially the younger ones like are still in school, the middle school and the high school. Okay? Let's go down here. Chapter or 2 Timothy 1 and 8. Be not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. It says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And if you do that, sooner or later, you're going to get to a place where you're going to have to uh, put your faith to the test. Okay. And then finally, 1 Peter 4, 16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, be, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. Now, if you are being persecuted, now think of the typical bully situation. You've got the cool crowd, and I don't care if it's a bunch of in-girls in the middle school. I don't care if you go to an elementary school and it's the tough guy in the playground. Usually what they do is the bullies do is they go after the weak, and they try to put down the weak, right? Well, that's what's going to happen to the Christians, and we've got to be in a mindset where if you are being challenged. And I don't care if it's in the workplace. I don't care marketplace. I don't care if it's a neighborhood. I don't care where it is. If it's at that place and people giggle at you, will that cause you to be ashamed and alter your behavior? I hope not. I hope not. Okay. I can share times when that happened. But let me, let me, give you an example. This is a real practical illustration. I want to go back to the Old Testament. I want to go back to the book of Esther. Now, let me show you how it can happen. Okay? This has got nothing to do with the testimony of Christ. It's got nothing to do with denying Jesus Christ or being ashamed of the gospel. This is just an example of how wokeness can cause even a king to back away. In this particular case, in Esther 1, verse uh, 11 and 12, there was a king named Ahasuerus, and he had this great big banquet. And what he did was absolutely wrong from a Christian standpoint, from a godly standpoint. He had this great big drunken feast, and he had all his princes and all his right men and his left men and his, you know, the, the, the dignitaries from afar. And they were just been drinking and drinking. And he got the bright idea. He says, okay, call my wife Vashti. Have her come out, wear the crown, because I'm going to show off how pretty she is. And Vashti, you know what? I really don't blame her. 
She says, I'm not going to go out there and parade myself in front of all them drunken men. Basically, that's what she did. And Vashti got very angry. Okay? So we go down a little bit further in the chapter, and we get to Esther chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. And the king says, what should I do? I've been embarrassed in front of all my men. And one of his advisors says, put her away. That'll show her. And the other thing is, is we really need to put her away. Because if you, as the king, don't put away your queen, that's going to be very negative towards every man in this kingdom because his wife's going to do the same thing. Let's use her as an example. And the king said, okay. Okay. And then we go to chapter 2. And it says, when the king's wrath was appeased... He went back and he started to remember Vashti. And he says, oh yeah, I just put away a real pretty wife. See? There's the person that gives you the advice on what's woke and what's not woke. There's the person that complied to it. But then a little bit of time went by and then there was the person that regretted that he complied to it. Have you ever been in a position where you succumb to peer pressure... And then you got on the other side of the peer pressure and you go, why did I do that? I feel horrible at doing that. Well, that's an example. Yeah, ultimately, I want to go to a case in John chapter 9. We'll get there in just a second. But really, there's, there's, in my mind, there's three kinds of people. There's the person that sets the standard. There's the person that complies with the standard. And the persons that resist the standard. Okay? We're going to see that in John 9 in just a second. But I kind of want to build up to a little bit just to try to lay the groundwork. There's wokeness all over this Bible. And it comes in different ways. Sometimes people are embarrassed because this guy doesn't have a pedigree. I'm not going to follow him. This guy's got a bad reputation. I'm not going to help him. This person's poor. I'm not going to help him. This person's uneducated. I'm not going to help him. This person's a Christian. I'm not going to help them. Cool people don't do help Christians. Let's, 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 let's go see. Okay? Okay, my first... Um, I'll come back to this one. Let's read this one. I'm in Luke 7. Let me read 36 through 39. Luke 7, 36 through 39. Ready? Jesus was invited to a dinner at a Pharisee's house. And here we go, 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he, this is Jesus, went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the anointment now when the Pharisee saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touched him, for she is a sinner. So the Pharisee is looking at Jesus and he's judging Jesus that he would let this sinner, I'm assuming she's probably a prostitute, the way that's worded in common language, I'm guessing that's what she is. And here she is, is this 
prostitute or actually someone that's committed a lot of adultery, something like that, has touched Jesus and Jesus is allowed. And the Pharisees sitting back and say, I would never. My point is, is how many times have we let a culture determine who we would hang with, who we'd run with, who we'd be friends with, who we'd go to a football game with, whatever, right? Who you follow on social media. I'm sorry, I don't have any of those accounts. I'm, I'm trying to be hip. I'm not doing a very good job. But, but who? I, I wouldn't let them. I wouldn't follow them. I wouldn't be caught dead following them. You know, that kind of stuff. But we let that affect us. Amen? Let's, 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 let's turn the tables around. What if Jesus Christ was going before God and all the saints are up there and Jesus Christ goes to God on behalf of you? And all the holy saints are up there going, Jesus, what are you praying for this guy for? Joe, Jesus never allowed wokeness to alter his ministry. Let's look at another example. Luke 15, 1 and 2. This is, the par- this is right before the parable of the, um, the prodigal sons. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man received sinners and eateth with them. One Pharisee's got upset him because he let a sinner touch him. This one, he's sitting at a table breaking bread with these sinners. Oh, I would never. What they're doing is they're turning It's a wokeness. Who's cool and who's not cool? He's Jesus. They're, they're trying to peer pressure Jesus, and he's having none of it. And he goes to bat for you, and he died for you. And he ministers to people like you and he hears your prayers and he goes to God on your behalf. And then you get into a crowd with some people. Maybe they're at a football game. Maybe they're at a golf course. Maybe they're in a hardware store. Maybe they're just at a restaurant and they're making fun of questions. What do you do? Okay. Jesus didn't allow it to affect him. One more. Luke 18, 9 through 13. This is a parable, but this also emphasizes the point. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and thus prayed thus with himself, I thank thee that I am not as other men, extortioners and just adulterers, even as this publican. Pharisee just saying, God, I'm, I'm, I'm a gift to you. Right? Look how special I'm. Look at these slimy people over here, including this publican over here. Man, you got to be lucky I'm just doing your cause, God. And the publican standing afar off would not so much as lift up his eyes to heaven, but smote his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Lord is not looking for wokeness as culture defines wokeness. Okay? 
pedigree did not determine who Jesus would, would or would not minister to. Let's read a couple more. These are what ifs. Scripture doesn't say that. I just had some fun playing with it. And I guess fun isn't the right word. I just, some creative juices, okay? But this is one, this is where um, Jesus was about ready to be crucified and he's praying for Peter, okay? What if Jesus prayed like this? He said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. For as loyal as you have been to me and are going to be, is that what Jesus said? The answer is no, he didn't really say that. Because do you realize from this point how many times Peter was going to fail? He was going to fail and fall asleep when he asked him to pray. He was going to fail when he washed the disciples' feet and he says, no, don't wash my feet. He was going to fail when he said, come with me to the garden. And Peter said, I'd never run from you. And he bailed. And then he denied him the three times. So, Jesus prayed for that guy. Peter doesn't sound very reliable, does he? Doesn't sound like the kind of friend I want in my corner. Man, throw me under a bus at the drop of a dime. But that's who he prayed for. Jesus did that for you. So what do you do for Jesus? What do I do for Jesus? Here's another one, Luke 22, 41 and 42. The disciples, James, John, and Peter, were stones cast away, and Jesus knelt and prayed, Father, why should I drink this cup, given how my disciples are going to run, deny me, and question my resurrection? Is that the way Jesus prayed? And the answer is no, not really. He didn't really pray that way. And if I had friends like that, I, I might have been praying like that. I hope I won't pray like that. But that's what Jesus did. You got it? And then John 18, 1 through 9, a band of soldiers came with lanterns, torches, and weapons. And Jesus said, whom do you seek? And the band of Jesus, they said that we're speaking, we're looking for Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, you can have the whole lot of them. They just banded me and threw me under the bus. I, I know, I'm, this is, sounds really, really silly. But do you see these three occasions? Jesus knew that the disciples were going to leave them high and dry and he stuck with them and he prayed with them and he prayed for them and he ministered to them and he died for them. And here we are and we're worried about whether the cool people want to keep us in or not. Maybe it's a little bit heightened than that. Maybe we're worried, well... Maybe I won't get the job if I admit. I'll tell you what, if you get the job, I guarantee you don't want to work there. Amen? Okay. All right, let's go to John 9. There's three kinds of people. You got this with me? There's the people that set the standard. There's the people who comply with the standard. And the people that say, no, nah, I don't care about your standard. Let's look at the difference. Okay. John 9 is the account of Jesus healing a blind man. It was a man that was born blind. And he was a beggar all his life. And we read the first 18 verses of it, and Jesus heals the man. And after he heals the man, <clears throat> Jesus leaves and he goes on ministering. 
And all of a sudden, the Pharisees are sitting there and they're stuck with this miracle. They're not happy that the guy who's been begging all his life now is able to, to work. They're not happy for the parents because they have this child that's an invalid and all of a sudden he's not an invalid. They're not happy. What they're mad is a miracle was performed with them and people are paying more attention to the miracle than they're preaching. And they're mad. And they're going to set a standard. Verse 19. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who ye say that was born blind? How then doth he see? And his parents answered them and said, We know, not, we know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth? We know not. Or who hath opened his eyes? We know not. He is of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake the parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, they should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Who sets the standard? Who's setting wokeness? It was the Pharisees, right? And anyone that would give credit, Jesus Christ credit for anything spectacular, they're going to get kicked out of the church. They're going to get kicked out of the cool clique. They're going to be mocked in the lunchroom. They'll be heckled during the football game. During, oh, teammates can be cruel. There's a lot of opportunity to get after another teammate that's not on the cool. You can do it in the locker room. You can do it in the showers. You can do it in practice. You can do it on the bus going on to traveling. There's a lot of play opportunity to make fun of people. And there it is right there. I'm going to do it. So here's the standard being set by the Pharisees, the religious elite. And here's the parents, and they're complying with the standard. They're complying. Okay? Let's skip down now to verse 26. <clears throat> so what happened is basically they, they, the, the parents are going to say yay or nay. They're just going to be quiet. He said, but they didn't deny Jesus Christ. Yeah, they did, right? Sometimes silence is denying Jesus Christ. And they deny Christ. So we're going to pick it up. So the Pharisees come back to the blind man that was blind, was blind, but now he sees, and they give him a second run at him. Then they said to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? In other words, what did Jesus do? He answered them and says, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore, would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spake unto Moses, As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why wherein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes? Now ye know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sin, dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Okay? So they threatened mom and dad to deny Christ 
And they basically did it in a passive way, but they didn't in it. And they were kept in the church. Here's this man that was blind and he had Christ work in his life and he knew I'm not the same man anymore. And they tried him again to deny it. And this man, I give him all the credit in the world. He said, no. I was blind my entire life. I got this great deliverance. This man did it. And you're trying to get me to deny the miracle that healed me. I don't care what you say. I know what's happened to me. And I'm going forward. Y'all, that's kind of my experience. Somewhere in my mid to late 20s. I had an experience like I wasn't blind and I wasn't made to see physically, but I think in spiritually. And there was a lifestyle that I was living. And all of a sudden, that lifestyle was no more pleasurable to me. Matter of fact, it became frustrating. And the people I hung around with didn't hang around with me anymore. And it had been real easy to deny Christ, but I was like this blind guy. I knew what happened to me. Something happened to me. Something changed within me. I wasn't looking for God, but God was looking for me. And everything changed. But, but, I'm not, a, <coughs> I'm not being invited anymore. That's all right. I'd rather hang with Jesus than the rest. Okay. And I had some tight friends. I had college roommates that I was together for years. All of a sudden, I became really uncomfortable presence for them. Okay. Let's go to John chapter 9. Three kinds of people. The ones setting the standards, the Pharisees. The ones complying with the standards, the, the man's parents. The one that says, I don't care what your standards are. I know what I know. That's the man that was healed. Here's Jesus, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? I love this answer. And he says, I don't know who he is. Got it? Do you understand how many theologies that this guy breaks? Do you understand that he's standing up to the Pharisees? He's defending Jesus Christ. He doesn't understand the full ramifications of who Jesus is yet, but he's standing up to them. He's facing exclusion. His parents have thrown him under the bus. He doesn't care. And Jesus comes back and he says, I heard they kicked you out of the church. He says, do you believe on Christ? He says, who is this guy named Jesus? He doesn't know enough. Y'all, that's our job. Our job isn't to make the change in the person. My, our job is to tell the people who God's made the change in, and we tell them about who made the change in him. And this is what Jesus did. Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? I got news for you, buddy. You already did believe on him. You defended him against the Pharisees. You got kicked out of the church because of him. It's kind of like that song. There was this little, I forget, it was the old country song. And, and, and there was this little bitty girl, and she was 
you'll have to help me with the name of the song, but there's this little bitty girl, and her parents were, one, dad was drunk, and they were fighting, and one, they shot, and they got killed, and there was all this, this happened, and the little girl that was seven, eight, eight years old, she got taken away, and she got put in a foster home. And when she got put in the foster home, they took her to church, and in the church, they were telling about Jesus, and the little girl said, I know who he is. He was the one behind the sofa with me, but I don't know his name. That's exactly what happened to Helen Keller. What was the woman's name that taught her? Ann Sullivan. She goes like, I want to tell you about Jesus. Helen Keller says, I know who he is. I just don't know his name. This man knew who Jesus was. He just didn't know his name. That's our job. Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talk of thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. You know what? I think he was doing a pretty good job worshipping him before he found out what his name was. Amen? That's the way it works. Okay, so there's three kinds of people. There are people that have set the standards. Those are usually the insecure people in the middle school. Yes? There's the people that comply. Those are the people that are even more insecure. And then there's the people that says, I don't care. Those are the secure people, right? You set all the standards you want. I'm not worried about it. I know where my peace comes from. It's not come from a click. It's not even going to come from a job. Okay, I want to close with two passages. First one is in Matthew 25. <clears throat> there's a judgment coming. And I want you to look at these group of people who Jesus Christ says who you ministered to. Remember, he separates the sheep from the goats. And he says, this is how I separated them. He says, then shall the righteous answer him, say, Lord, when did we see thee hunger and feed thee? Lord, when did we see thee thirsty and we gave thee drink? When did we see thee a stranger and took thee in? When did we see thee naked and clothed thee? Or when did we see thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it to me. When you've done these things to the uncool, you've done them to the Lord. The society will tell us what's cool and what's not cool. That's not God's definition of what's cool and what's cool, uncool. He has made men in his image. He's got his children in every kindred, tribe, and nation. He's got them in every educational bracket. He's got them in every income bracket. He's got them in every station of life. And we need to be reaching out. But that's not what cool people do. I don't want to do what cool people do. I want to do what Christian people do. I want to do what God's people do. Second passage, last passage. 1 Timothy 1. Here's Paul speaking. And he says, This is the faithful saving, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I'm sure glad Jesus came into the world to save his children, even the sinners. I can say even the sinners. They're all sinners. There isn't one that's not a sinner. If there was, it wouldn't need to save them, right? 
Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. Y'all, we got a ministry to people that are not woke. We got a ministry to people that don't look like us. We got a ministry to people that uh, are can be the outcasts of our society. All of a sudden, that makes us a little comfortable, doesn't it? We got to close with this. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus Christ stood on the cross, and he did not deny me because I was uncool or a sinner. In other words, he said, stand back, and he died for me. Wow, I, I just I don't know. And I think he did that for me. How many times have I hesitated? Praising him and giving him the credit for the blessings in my life. I pray I'm better. I pray I'm more conscious of it. I pray I'm better at it. May the Lord bless us as we think what He did for us, and it was purely out of love. And then maybe we can be a little bit of that salt and light in this community.